Hey guys, uh, welcome back for another exciting episode of Stuck in a Side Quest. Uh, we're going to be doing something a little different tonight. Uh, it's actually kind of more of like a mini quest. Uh, that's probably not what it's going to be called, but you know, we're trying it out. Um, we also actually have our first ever guest tonight. Let's give a warm welcome and round of applause to our boy Mason. Hey guys, hey guys, it's an honor to be here on this podcast. I'm a big fan, big fan. <laughs> All right. Also tonight uh, is me, myself, Scott, and my lovely wife, Katie. <laughs> hey, Katie. Suck up. I mean, they know who I am. I don't even know. <laughs> Does do it doesn't matter. Hey. Hey. Tonight, we're going to be talking about uh, redeemable characters in Harry Potter. Um, and we're going to focus mostly on Snape, Draco Malfoy, and Dumbledore. Yeah. And potentially a few others. Yeah, and any others as we come along to them. All right. Snape. Okay. My main dog, Snippy Snape. Snack Pack. Snape. Do I think Snape's a redeemable character? Absolutely. Let me tell you why. This man went through hell and back just because he loved some chick that kind of loved him back but didn't really love him, okay? And he died for it just to protect her little shit of a son, Harry Potter. So Harry Potter's not a little shit, first of all. Shit. Oh, God, it begins. Second of all, he, Snape was a very, very selfish character. Selfish? Yes. This man died. For Harry Potter. He didn't die for That is the Harry. ultimate not selfish thing to do. He is to die for something. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think he intended to die. It's not like he was a martyr. Yeah, but, I mean, he could have been like, fuck Harry. And just, you know, went off and done his own thing. I mean, he basically treated Harry like shit throughout the entire series. Yeah, but that's because his father was an asshole. That's the only reason why Harry got treated like that. But If he really felt guilty about what happened to Lily, then he would have treated Harry differently. And as a matter of fact, that, I mean, he he's the reason why Lily and James are, are dead. So, Mason, you may not know this because it's in the books, but Snape overhears the prophecy being told that... um. Harry was going to be born, and he would be marked as Voldemort's equal. And he didn't stay long enough to figure out who the prophecy was about. So when he told Voldemort, he didn't know that it was going to be Lily's son. And so basically, he told he told Voldemort about it, and Voldemort turned around and went after James and Lily, and that's when Snape turns back. He begs Dumbledore to save them. But if it had been anyone else that he was going after, he would have never turned back to the good side. Trash. And then he continued to treat Harry like shit, even though he was the reason why his mother was dead. I also do want to preface to the to the listeners that me nor Scott have read the books. Our knowledge comes strictly from the movies. You're not gonna change my mind. I mean, that's I mean, I like Snape. I, a lot of me liking Snape has to do with the fact that Alan Rickman played him in the movies. But R.I.P. R.I.P. Alan Rickman. Yeah. Moment of silence. All right, that's enough. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, if he hadn't, hadn't been played by such a good actor, he probably wouldn't have been as likable in the movies either. Oh, probably no. right. I don't but. think he would have been nearly as liked if it was played by somebody else. No. Well, still, it was played by the man, and the man convinced me. And, I mean, I guess, don't get me wrong, there's, like, when he gets... Snape's tears and he takes him to the pensive. 
you know, there's that moment where Snape is like, you know, mad at Dumbledore because he says you've raised him like a pig for slaughter. And he says, don't don't tell me you've come to care for the boy, you know. But then then he still just shows off his Patronus as it, it matches Lily's Patronus. So it all just comes back to Lily. It's not that he actually cares about Harry. This man's love was so strong for this woman that it carried over to Harry Potter, okay? He was so down bad that it kept him throughout, what was it, seven books and eight movies up until this man died, all because he had this played-out fantasy in his head that this girl would love him in death because he played for his son. Yeah, well, you know, the only reason Snape even acted that way was because Harry's father was a big old piece of shit. You know, though, Snape Snape was equally shitty as they got older. And I'm not trying to make excuses because James and Sirius especially treated Snape like shit. But Snape chose to go to the dark side before that. You know, and he was befriending Death Eaters while he was in school. Because they were all in Slytherin together. But, I mean, in one of their biggest fights, Harry sees it in his mind when they're doing Occlumens. Snape calls Lily a mudblood. And that was kind of the end of their friendship. And so it's, I don't know, you know? Yeah, but okay. It's not like he, it was poor little Snape who got picked on and he was trying to do the right thing. Yeah, but my thing is, is that he did get picked on. So let's say if he, let's just say he, if he never would have got picked on by James and that entire crew, who knows what could have happened? Who knows? Maybe they, let's just say they would have treated him with kindness or they would have been nice to the man. Could end up being a part of their group, even though he's a Slytherin, but they're still good Slytherins. No. Snape, uh, Snape, no. <laughs> Earlier on in their childhood, when he he meets Lily before they go to Hogwarts, because they live near each other, mm-hmm. he even treats her sister Petunia kind of poorly just because she's a muggle. Well, Petunia's a bitch. She was a child when they met. Yeah, you're right. I I'm mean, sorry. yeah, if, if James, even if James didn't take on him, Throughout the childhood, he still would have been jealous of James. Yeah, I mean, I don't, it, think, that, I don't think I don't think him being picked on by James would change much if it didn't happen. Yeah, and who hasn't been bullied at some point in their life? Exactly. That, that's not an excuse to, to be club. a shitty person. Wow. <laughs> Welcome to the club. And you hear it here, folks. <laughs> bully whoever. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They'll do that. No, I'm just saying you can't just go around that. That's you stooping. To me, he stooped lower than James and Sirius by becoming a Death Eater. I guess you're right. But don't even get me started about Sirius because I don't like that man either. But you don't like Sirius? No. Are we bringing this man into this? I guess we can talk about Sirius. Sirius, how do you not like Sirius? Sirius, if Sirius redeemed himself like- more than anybody else, book Sirius is an arrogant ass. Okay, well, and he even acts that way towards Harry when. Harry won't do what he wants him to do. Well, I don't know book series. I know Gary Oldman, and that man was fantastic. That's what I'm saying. The movies portray characters differently, and actors have a lot to do with it. I love Gary Oldman. I love Alan Rickman, and they did great performances. Because Snape was that character that you, like, you didn't really hate him, and you liked him. He was kind of there for your own amusement. It's not like Dolores Umbridge, where she was outright evil. That bitch was, yeah. (laughs) And that's why I prefaced before... That we only know things from the movies. <laughs> right. And I, I don't, I guess I don't not like Sirius. I just, he was still really immature and arrogant, and he was supposed to step in as a father figure for Harry, and he didn't do it. He wanted to be Harry's friend, 
And it, it there was it was kind of fucked up before he died, you know. Yeah, but Harry already has a dad. Serious Anne's dad. It was his godfather, though. He was an, a grown man, and Harry was a child. He asked Harry to move in with him at one point. He was supposed to be looking out for Harry's best interest, not wanting him to get into more trouble. Well, he was looking out for everybody's best interest because he wanted Harry to join the Order of the Phoenix so that they could bring down the big bad man. Well, Baltimore, I have a question. A.K.A. Tom Riddle. Go ahead, Mason. Didn't Sirius only, and I could be completely wrong about this, please correct me, didn't Sirius really only ask Harry to join them because he, like, needed Harry? Like, he, he was kind of almost blackmailing him in a way. Or not blackmailing him, uh, guilt-tripping him into joining the Order and Phoenix. I mean, he just didn't want to baby Harry. But also, Sirius was looking to get his best friend back. So it was for his own selfish reasons in a way. So I guess it's kind of lines up with what you're saying. He wanted Harry yeah, to be James. Sort of he, wanted to, he wanted Harry to fill that void of his best friend and have his like partner in crime back. But Harry was shit. I think he was 14, about to be 15 at the beginning of Order of the Phoenix. A 14, 15-year-old boy doesn't need to be joining the army to go off to fight the big bad guy. I mean, you know. <laughs> So my the consensus that I'm getting here is that everyone's just a selfish prick and they're only looking out for their own selves. Is that what you're trying to tell me? No, what I'm saying is is that it's not going to be black and white. None of this is going to be black and white, but it's not as golden as the movies make it out to be. Mm. These, there's a lot of character flaws within these characters, and I don't think that sometimes the characters should be glorified. I think they should be seen as what they are. I mean, they play out just like people in real life. It's no nobody in that series is black and white. I mean, Harry is seen as the hero, but he does some pretty messed up stuff. Yeah, that's true. Tom is seen as like Tom Riddle is seen as you know the horrible big bad, which he is. But there was like a few things that was like, what? That's not like the worst thing ever. Yeah, <laughs> like he could have done worse. Yeah. Which I, mean, I think that also goes for Draco too. I don't think Draco was necessarily i don't even think necessarily bad or evil or necessarily a villain at least in the movies i don't know how he is in the books but i didn't see draco as a villain more than i saw him kind of under the heel of his father yeah i agree with that i and he's made out to be like the the childhood big bad guy just as much as he bullies harry ron and hermione but you're right. He's he's just a kid in those times, and it's really his family, and especially his dad, that he feels like he has these shoes to live up to. And I think also because, I mean, what didn't Draco's father introduce Draco to Voldemort in his sixth year or before that? Yeah. And, and didn't Voldemort, like, severely abuse Draco throughout his entire sixth year? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't physically abusive, but... Basically, he told Draco that he wanted him to be the one to kill Dumbledore and kind of made it up like, oh, you can do it, you can do it. But his end goal, I think, was that he really was hoping that Dumbledore would kill Draco to get back at Malfoy's dad, Lucius, because Lucius lost the prophecy and then went to Azkaban. And they left that out of the movie, but uh, Voldemort... What, you get like a little snippet of a newspaper that shows Azkaban's newest prisoner yeah. or something. Yeah, but well, well Dumbledore I... said that those were feeble attempts to a mastermind like Draco. So Dumbledore 
also sent that whole conflicting idea into Draco's head. Draco was conflicted throughout that entire portion of his life. Yeah, he's very conflicted. And, I mean, personally, I feel bad for him because he's he's also just a kid. I mean, he's only 16, and he wants to live up to his dad's shoes because he's grown up. He grew up, you know, rich, and his dad was powerful within the ministry and their purebloods and the Malfoy name. He wants to live up to his dad's shoes. He obviously loves his dad. But then he's got Voldemort, and Voldemort's basically threatened to kill him and his family if he doesn't attempt to kill Dumbledore. And that's why in the tower, before he kills it, you know, he's like, I have to do this because it's either him and his family or Dumbledore. And it, he he has to do it. He doesn't want to do it. I mean, yeah, the man's like pretty much in tears. Yeah. Like saying that like it's he doesn't have a choice. Like right. if, if he doesn't yeah. do this, Voldemort is going to kill him. Right. It's pretty intense. And, but even in the end, he's still not able to do it. Yeah. And I think that says a lot, too. And Snape did it for him. Yeah. Did he not? He did, yeah. And ultimately, that was a plan between Snape and Dumbledore anyway. Yeah, that was... I mean, that was the plan. But it did also save Draco from that guilt, too. Right. Like Draco, I don't think, ever would have laid a finger on Dumbledore. Even if there was more time or Snape didn't interject, I don't think that Draco would have killed Dumbledore. I don't think he would have either. And um, when Dumbledore is talking to Malfoy on the tower, Dumbledore knows that when you kill somebody, it splits your soul. And whether that piece of your soul goes into making a Horcrux like it does for Voldemort or not, you can't come back from it. And so ultimately, besides the guilt, he was trying to save Malfoy from that kind of life. Because once you do it, you're changed forever. And he he knows that Malfoy would have probably spiraled down further into the, the dark side. And so he's also trying to save Malfoy's just well-being, mental state, everything, just outside of the guilt also. Well, going back to what uh, Mason, you had said, like, I'm pretty sure there's a line to where it even says that, like, Malfoy was lowering his wand anyway. Like, right, yeah. right before, like, everything happened with Snape and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Like, he was... He was about to lower his wand. Yeah. So, I mean, just there you can tell how much this was tearing this character apart. And he oh, wasn't about it. He was He's not truly evil. And I I guess another question I got is, like, you know, we hate his dad. His dad's an asshole. He's a failure. He was great at one point, And he just continues to fail the Dark Lord. But do you think Malfoy would have been totally different if his mother had acted differently? Because, like... I don't know how she's portrayed in the books, but in the movies, she seems like she is like the reason in that family. Like she actually seems like a decent human being to be married to such a dick. Yeah. So, I mean, absolutely. I think that if she had more, if she had interjected more, had more control over Draco instead of um, his father having more control over him, he would have turned out much differently and probably turned out a lot of people say, and I can almost get behind you, probably would have turned out better than Harry did in that more kind of, you know, more gray area, the light and dark side here. Yeah. I think he would have turned out to be a better person. And he's actually written, um, J.K. Rowling did state that he becomes almost a better person than Harry does in his later adult life, which that's, of course, after he detaches himself from his parents. But she states that throughout uh, his adult life, he is almost perceived as a better person than Harry ever was. 
I mean, I could see that. Yeah, and that's touched on a lot in The Cursed Child. But um, his mom, Narcissa, thinking about it because Harry is saved by a mother's love twice in his life. The first time being when his own mother dies. But the second time being when Voldemort kills Harry and Narcissa goes over to check to see if he's dead. She knows he's alive because she asks him if Malfoy is okay. And Harry lets her know that her son is okay and she pretends that Harry is dead and she saves him there because... If if she hadn't have done that, Voldemort would have killed him again, you know, right. instantly while he was down. And so that that whole plot point right there tells me what kind of person she is. Yeah. And all she really cared about was her son and making sure her son was okay. And she doesn't give a shit about Voldemort or the dark arts or any of that. Right. Because even at the end of that, when everything's going down, hell, they leave. As soon yeah. as they're all together, all three of them take off. Yeah. They don't even care about what's going to happen with anything else. They're just like, let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And I I mean, I agree with that. And I also, to add on to kind of Draco's more confliction, he was one of the best Persian, uh, Persian masters in the, in the school. And it said that he crafted everything extremely carefully, specifically to not kill. Yeah. He never tried to kill. He never wanted to kill. He wanted danger. I mean, he almost he injured Harry. Or didn't he injure Harry a few times? He almost like swallowed with him. No, Harry severely injures Malfoy. Yeah, I he, know, but he tries. But he never intended to kill anybody. Yeah, no, he never did anything horrible. Not nearly as horrible as Sectumcimpro. Yeah, yeah. I think he was I a think... mixed up kid. And then going back to what Mason said about his adult life, th- that being touched on in Cursed Child. You get a good look at that, and he has he has a son, and he has a wife, and his wife dies. And his son becomes best friends with one of Harry's sons. And I think just, you know, seeing how his kid turned out, because any, there's kind of still conflict between Draco and Harry as adults. And Draco's kind of holding on to a lot of anger, but I don't think that it's anything malicious They just, some people you're just never going to get along with. Right. And, but just seeing the way that his son is, his son is like a little sweetheart in the, in the cursed child. And so I think just seeing that and then knowing that his wife died on top of everything else he's been through, that shows more too that he stayed a redeemable character. Well, and that, do you think that that kind of hardened him a little bit more after his wife died? I'm sure. Yeah. I think that also um, adding on to him being redeemable. He almost he almost has a redemption in the books. Like he, he almost experiences his own redemption, and I think with that, you always have to ask. It's not you don't you always have to ask. Do they want to redeem themselves, or can they be redeemed? Because I think Draco definitely at some point wanted to redeem himself because he knew what he was doing was not really in his hands; it was in somebody else's hands. Throughout his entire life, want to do half the things that he was being forced to or told to do, or how do you look at it? Yeah, I agree with that, and I think you made a good point, Mason, when you say that it's did he do something redeemable or did he want to be redeemed? And I think that's that's really the point because with Snape, he was just going through and doing doing stuff. You know, it wasn't that he was striving to be the good person like Draco was. Draco specifically didn't want to do the bad things. Yeah. Can we 
Can we touch on real quick how like through that whole sixth movie, this man was failing miserably at everything he was trying to do though. Well, like, it's because he wasn't in it. I know. Well, and that's because he didn't want to do it. Right. And that's that's kind of the point I was about to make with that is like I if Draco was really about doing these things, I feel like he would have came up with better plans. He would have tried harder. He wouldn't have you know what I mean? Everything that he did was just it wasn't right. I think I think with that, um well, I was gonna ask do you think that he was? You think that he wasn't failing? He was purposefully sabotaging himself. I think so. Where he, where he didn't have to do the horrible things. I think to an extent, yes, because he knew at the end of the day he was fin- trying to fix the vanishing cabinet, and he knew the Death Eaters were going to get into Hogwarts. And so I think that he really was trying to hold out for that in the hopes that maybe somebody else would get to Dumbledore before it fell on his shoulders. Yeah, and. But- and I know he he had to play it off to Snape, like, he, I'm the one that has to do it, you know? But ultimately, if he was really worried about it, he wouldn't. He would have just done it to begin with. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but see, I look at it from the other angle. I don't know if he necessarily was deliberately sabotaging himself. I think that maybe it was just out of sheer fear of what might happen to him that he was making these mistakes. You know what I mean? Like, maybe he just wasn't thinking straight because he was so worried that... I mean, if he doesn't succeed, <laughs> Voldemort is going to kill him and his family. Yeah. Like, they don't get any more chances. His father has already fucked up way too many things with Voldemort, and it's just, I mean, maybe that's the reason why it was happening. But, I mean, it's, it's still a good point to look at, you know, different views on it. Well, I think with that, Draco also, when he volunteers himself saying that, you know, it has to be him that kills Dumbledore, I think that was also... His way of maybe stalling, because now he, since the responsibility is on him, he can push it out as much as he can, and maybe something else can be put in the way of it to where he doesn't have to even attempt to kill Dumbledore. Yeah, I think that might have. I think that might have been his way of saying, "Yeah, guys, yeah, I'm, you know, I'll, I got it." And then he goes over, and you know, he's like, "All right, how far can I push this out? Yeah. How much longer can I give Dumbledore for maybe he can figure it out and come up with a plan or something?" Yeah, because he had ample opportunity one-on-one with Dumbledore to do anything he wanted to, and he just couldn't do it. And he just kept, he was entertaining the conversation with Dumbledore because he was putting it off for as long as possible. Well, again, I think that's based out of fear. I mean, this is my own opinion. I just think that, like... Well, and even if it's based out of fear, it could still be a subconscious intentionalness to it. Right, because, I mean, I don't think morally that Draco is a bad character. Like, he's not bad at heart. Again, I think it just... His family and everything else factors into the way that he acts. And plus, he's he's still a child. I mean, it's not like he's got everything figured out anyways. Right. And I mean, I agree with that. I think it it could be both. I think it could be kind of more of a, a paralysis of fear and more of him stumbling over his own fear. But I do also think I personally... um him set more in the fact that it was intentional, but I can see how it can be him stumbling over his own beard. Yeah, so moving into Dumbledore, um, outright, you know, questioning whether or not Dumbledore is redeemable seems stupid, you know, because most people love Dumbledore, but Dumbledore does a lot of messed up stuff, and he didn't leave Harry with a lot. He almost left him with puzzles to solve to be able to defeat Voldemort. And so there's there's a lot there that 
makes you question what his intentions were. Yeah, but maybe those things that he did was to try and force him to grow up a little bit because he was going to have to handle the situation even as a child. Yeah, but he if he wanted him to grow up, then he wouldn't have sheltered him so much because he doesn't. He waits till the last minute to tell Harry everything. He doesn't tell him about the prophecy where, you know, him or Voldemort are going to kill one another <laughs> at the end of the day. I mean, yeah. Well, I think that can also be due to the fact that that, that type of information, he didn't want to reveal that until he knew he, him, he himself would not be able to reveal that, you know, at any other point in the future. He knew he was, something was going to happen, so he knew that you only did. Because if Harry knew that all along, or if that information was more, you know, easily thrown out there, that also could have had some sort of major repercussion where that didn't work or that was heard by, you know, too many nosy ears and that went to the dark world. I think that could have also been a precaution of safety. Yeah, I could see that. But even even at the beginning of Word of the Phoenix, they're, they're talking about protecting the weapon, the weapon being the prophecy. At that point, it probably would have been appropriate to tell Harry because that's what Voldemort is looking for. And Voldemort discovers that he can get into Harry's mind, so it probably would have been something good for Harry to know, like, hey, heads up, let's get in front of this instead of waiting until, you know, you see somebody get killed in your mind. And Because in the books, Harry's worried that... He, he's being possessed by Voldemort like Ginny was when she got into his diary. And so, you know, it just, it, I don't think it was handled appropriately. Dumbledore kept avoiding him and. Yeah. There was plenty of times where I kind of felt like Dumbledore was kind of being a prick. Like in, even yeah. in the movies, I know it probably touches on more in the books, but like, Oh, well he's going away for the summer. He's going away for this time. He can't really talk to you right now. He's avoiding him. He's hiding. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, Dude, like, you know everything that needs to be done. Lay it out for this child. Like, he doesn't know. Yeah, and I mean, and that's just, I think that's kind of just the way that Dumbledore works. Because even in Fantastic Beasts, young Dumbledore, in the plan, in the newest movie. With the briefcase? With the briefcases, right. they're chilling. And everybody's got their own thing, but nobody can know each other. And, you know, they say that's because... Grindelwald could see into their minds and like know the plan if everybody knew what was going on and stuff. But I think that's just how Dumbledore likes to operate. Dumbledore's he likes got, to play games. Dumbledore's got style. <laughs> but Dumbledore's also got his own games, which he knows that people are hard to figure out. So I think him having those games, while stupid and potentially dangerous to the people around him, also puts them in a safer position and is more precautious with it. I think it's kind of a double-edged sword there. Like, yeah, it's stupid. And you're kind of throwing these people out into the darkness with, you know, nothing but one of those little finger flashlights getting you free. But, you know, you're protected in a sense. Yeah, but I think it comes from almost like a, a weird place where Dumbledore thinks that he knows best. And so he thinks it's okay that it's always him that knows and nobody else needs to know and he's in charge of it all. And it's, sometimes that comes back to bite him in the ass. And it's like, you know, if you if you worked more as a team instead of thinking you were at the top of everything, maybe more could be accomplished. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. I definitely, I definitely see it. 
I think it's all, I think, like you said earlier, though, it's not black and white. I don't think if Dumbledore would have or would not have done this, it would have ultimately, you know, been either perfect or imperfect. I think that him doing certain things definitely led to better outcomes than if he would not, if he had not done those things. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Dumbledore's my favorite character. I love Dumbledore, but... I think it's important to address like who he really was because, you know, in the seventh book, Harry is very, very conflicted because he finds out that Dumbledore wasn't the man that he thought he was. And he finds out a lot about Dumbledore's past. Is and, anybody? No, is anybody no, really? but no, obviously. But I mean, that's like, you know, you're growing up and you find out who your parents are. And you may not like all aspects of your parents and stuff like that. And it's the same way. That's how Harry felt about Dumbledore. But Dumbledore was dead. He couldn't address it. You know what I mean? And all these, the book was being written about him, his biography, and people were talking about him. And he was finding out that Dumbledore was friends with Grindelwald and involved in, you know, all the shit that Grindelwald wanted to do to the world. And realized that there was a whole nother life to this man that he only right. knew a very small portion. And of. that Dumbledore could have possibly been the one to kill his own sister. Yeah. You know? And so I think you have to look at all aspects of it to see who Dumbledore really was, and did he always have Harry's best interests at heart? Because that's like the Deathly Hallows. He left those clues laying around because he knew that Harry had to die. And then it's just like, well, hopefully he'll get all the Deathly Hallows so he can come back. But right. if not, then you're just dead. Yeah, and I'm not going to tell you about it. <laughs> exactly. Let's not give him all the information before yeah. my timely death, because I know that I'm going to die. Right, and that's he left that book for Hermione because it had the symbol in it in hopes that Hermione would figure it out because she's super smart. <laughs> right. In, instead of just telling them. Right. Well, <laughs> and Harry already had one of them, and he didn't even tell him. Well, Katie, if he would have told him all these things, you wouldn't have had two other movies to go along with it and a whole other book. So I mean, you're right. I mean, ultimately, these are fictional characters, and it is what it is. Sometimes right? it is for plot and character convenience, but I think, I think from what I've gathered on the books and what happened in the movies, it's not strictly plot and character convenience. I do think it's written in well, and I think that they're having multiple ways to think about it like that shows how good the writing is in both forms of media. Yeah, I agree. I think. Uh... I think Harry Potter stands with like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones as far as world building. I think that J.K. Rowling has done a very good job at that. You know, with the Fantastic B series that's come out, she's really expanded on those characters. And I'll be honest with you, I love Newt Scamander as a main protagonist way more than I like Harry Potter's character. Oh, yeah, I agree with I that. I love Newt Scamander. I like the story of Harry Potter, of Harry more, but I, I will say I do think I like you as a character. Like, he's more, there's more to him, I feel like. I mean, let's just be honest. Harry is only Harry because <laughs> he's the boy who lived, right? He's like yeah, so Scar. Scott is not a Harry Potter stand. I, look, I'm really, okay, I don't have I mean, to that's man. kind of the same thing as Luke Skywalker. He's only the chosen one. Because he's right? Hey, he's only, he's only. Hey, you watch your mouth. I all feel right. the same he's way only, about Luke. He's, I, I love Star Wars with all of my heart, but Luke was only, you know, it was only there to bring balance because he was only concerned. Okay, this so is a fight for another time. All right. That's, uh, a different, that's a different topic. <laughs> I'm just, I'm pulling an example out there. Anyways, back to me trashing Harry. 
No. I mean, I, I really don't hate Harry Potter as a character. It's just he felt to be the main guy in this entire series. Like, he kind of felt bland to me compared to everybody else other than the fact that the stuff with Voldemort. That was the only thing to me that set Harry aside from anyone else that was around him. Well, and I think that's just because you only have a movie perspective. Right. And and I get I get what you're saying, but in the book, you watch a little boy grow up from age 11 to 17, and he goes through all the different changes, you know? And really, the fifth and the sixth one, and some of the seventh one, you see the most character development for him. And in the fifth one, he's battling himself. He's so angry. And he's so angry about many things, down even down to his own his father. He's angry about who he finds out his father is. And then in the sixth one, he has to grow up into that person where, you know, he's ready to start fighting the Dark Lord. And you see a lot more character development. You see him, he goes through a like a really sassy phase in the sixth one. And he has so much personality that they don't put into the movies. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like I said, we I myself have not read the books and neither has Mason, so we really just see what we see on the big screen. So I own them all, so I haven't taken the time to read them. Right. Yeah. I have a wife that's read them 7,000 times, and I haven't picked up a single book. <laughs> it's so. fine. I'll just tell you about it. Right. Shame on me. I read like half of the first one, if that counts. Yeah. Yeah, and reading them as an adult is kind of different. They're, even though they're marketed towards children, there's a lot of things in those books that are very adult, a very very adult themes and uh, things that happen. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, going back to our original thing, so consensus on this. Do y'all think these all of these characters are redeemable? Like final say, yes, no on each one of them. Yes, but some more than others. I think there's they will take a there have to be a lot to redeem. I I agree with Mason. I I think I guess I guess they would all be redeemable, but Snape is the hardest one for me because I feel like he's the most selfish and not actually trying to redeem himself. Yeah, I mean, well, that's interesting because I you think that do you think that Snape is more? Selfish over Dumbledore, considering all we've talked about Dumbledore. Yeah, I would say so. I think younger Dumbledore was a lot more selfish. And who knows what Snape, who Snape would have grown into be, you know, if he had had the time to build the wisdom that Dumbledore has before he dies. You know, I might feel differently, especially after Voldemort being killed and, like, who he would turn to be. And and I guess that's one thing about Snape is he he never quit fighting for the good guys, I guess, at the end. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's the thing is, like, even after Dumbledore's dead, he doesn't ever go back and actually serve Voldemort. Right. So I guess I guess at the end of the day, I I do have to say, maybe he was redeemable. Uh I don't know. (laughs) Snape is the man. That's all I'm hearing. I don't know. Yeah, I guess guess that's a good point to bring up. To change your mind about it, if you're going to think about it that way. I mean, I think, you know, I think they were all redeemable. I mean, I think... And going back to it, I think that Dumbledore was more of an asshole than Snape. I just by that far, I think just just by his actions, not necessarily by his attention. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because 
I mean, you know that Snape is who Snape is. You know, he treats Harry like crap, this and that. But, like, that's expected in a way from Snape. And Dumbledore is supposed to be this person that's really supposed to be caring about him and all these other things. And he plays way too many mind games, I feel like, for somebody that... Yeah, but if you're going to get down to it, Dumbledore is all about love. He even says that the greatest magic of all is love. And like Harry's mom dying for him puts that protection because love itself is so powerful. Right. And I guess some of the games, sometimes it doesn't make sense to you, but ultimately I think it was coming from a good place with Dumbledore. Whereas Snape, I don't think it was always coming from a good place and he had too much anger and resentment held up in himself. I think it's just called tough love. I agree. Not to say that Dumbledore's actions were worse or better, but I think it's interesting to see that there was just almost just as much damage still coming from a place of love. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I will say that I don't think that Draco is a redeemable character because I don't <gasps> think because I don't think he had anything to redeem himself from. Mm. I mean, he was yeah, a bully, but I think he he learned his lesson on that, and I think he grew up to be an okay person. And there wasn't a lot that he did outside of that that was horrible and detrimental to other human beings. Yeah, I agree with that, too. That's I mean, a good upfront look at it. Like, I think that from the space, yeah, he, he can be redeemed. But if you really think about it, what does he have himself to redeem himself for, though? Right, because I think like, I he's just a child. Like, you know what I mean? He was really, I don't know. A lot a of the stuff playing, is... It's natural. like a kid playing in the Dark Lords games. It's not right. It's not his actions. And I don't think it ever was, and I think that's where a lot of this conflict came from. Because he never got to really make his own decisions. Right. Alrighty. Well, uh, Mason, it's great to have you on. Let us know what you guys think about the characters. If you think they're redeemable or not redeemable. If there's anybody you wish that we had talked about, maybe we can touch on that later. And uh, most importantly, like, follow, share. Follow us on social media at Sidequest Pods on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we've got a TikTok, um, and Facebook. we're on and we're on Facebook. Um, Really just share us, get the word out, keep listening. We appreciate all the listens that we're that we're getting. Um that's the end of this side quest. You remember, and remember, it's Leviosa. Not Leviosa. <laughs> Good night. Deuces.